Scripture reading this morning will be from Colossians 4. If you find that, you can stand. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how to respond to each person. And I will pray. Father, I thank you again for your life that you have given us in Christ, that he is indeed our very life. He, to, to know him, Lord, is to, is to participate in all that, that he is, and, Lord, we thank you that you have given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness in Christ. And I pray, God, again, as we look at your word, that you would minister to us, that our hearts would be drawn to you, Lord, and that you would be free to work in us all that you um, desire. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're getting close to the end here, Paul's little um, epistle to the church in Colossae. And three things in this paragraph that Paul wants to wind up um, his letter to them talking about. The first is prayer, and the second is their conduct, and then the third is their speech. And in the first here about prayer, it's a very simple admonition, devote yourselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 1, we find right from the beginning... Um, before the Holy Spirit has even been given to the church, that the disciples of Christ are devoting themselves to prayer. It is to be one of the main things that characterizes the life of the Christian. But we also know that devoted to prayer is not something that Christians alone are in possession of. In fact, many times I sometimes think that we um, are less focused on prayer than what other religions are. Though, having said that, I think with a lot of other religions, it's not really prayer, it's just a semblance of prayer, but they do talk a lot about prayer and want their lives to be characterized by it. I know that among the Hindus, they have their prayer wheels, and they think that every time that wheel makes a circle and they have a little handle on it and they spin it, that it is a prayer that's being offered up to God. And so they'll, some of the monks and others will sit and all day long just spin their prayer wheels. And every time that thing goes around, it's a prayer, and that somehow gives them favor and grace before God so that they would have some hope of eternal life after they've passed on because of all the prayers that they've been offering. Many times for Catholics, they have a similar type of mindset with the rosary beads and fingering the beads. And every bead is a prayer. And every time you go through the rosary beads, you've offered up a prayer to God. You may not even know what those prayers symbolize, but the, the heart attitude is that they need to be in prayer and that God hears prayer and that we can have greater standing and righteousness before God. The more we pray, the better our standing is before God. That is not what Paul's talking about here. As Don has just reminded us, 
we have standing before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ and not because of how much or how little we pray. But we are right because of God, uh, before God because of Christ and only because of Christ. But prayer is something that the Lord wants to characterize our lives, and it is something that every Christian should have that characterizes him. It is an attitude of prayer in everything that we do. Prayer is communication. It's not complicated. There's not really a lot said in Scripture about how to pray, how to, to devote yourselves to prayer. It seems to be assumed that it's something that every Christian can learn, and, and it's something that can characterize every Christian's life. So how does this fit in with all that Paul's been saying in Colossians? Because everything comes back in this letter to the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Well, for us as Christians, those who have placed our faith in Christ for salvation, we pray in part because we want to be in relationship with God. We want to express that, that we want to talk to Him and know Him. And prayer is conversation. Prayer is communication with God. But one of the fundamental reasons that we pray is not because prayer works. I, I don't like that statement, honestly, because that makes the Christian life mechanical. Well, I'm praying because I know prayer works. No, God, I'm praying because God works through prayer. It's not that the prayer works, it's God works through prayer. And the reason, the motivation is not that I can get what I want, James says, you have not because you ask not. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask with your own pleasures in mind. And so God's not giving you what you want because you just have your own pleasures, your own needs, whatever it is that you're focused on. And so, but we pray because we've come to the realization that what Paul's been saying is absolutely true. That we can do nothing apart from Christ. Christ is the one who brought this world into being. Christ is the one who's sustaining this world. Christ is our very life. Christ is the all in all. And so we come to God in prayer because we recognize there's nothing we can do on our own. I mentioned to Mark, my son-in-law, this week um, that, that our kennel, our dog kennel at our house is kind of in disrepair. Um, I, I put the thing up over 20 years ago, and the cedar posts have gotten rotted, and, and the wire is now stretched, and, and so I, you know, I need to tighten up those posts. And so Mark, being the workhorse that he is, just said, well, let's just rip them all out and put metal posts in. And, and so, that's work. And, and, and so he, he said, let's just get, do it this week. I've got some free time. So Thursday morning, Friday morning, we were out ripping out cedar posts and taking all the wire down and putting in new metal posts and stretching the wire. And it's not complicated, but it's work. It's really work. And, I, you know, I was out there just dying. And, and, and you know, it's 100 degrees, felt like 1,000 degrees. And, and I'm sweating like crazy. And, and I'm not even, I'm just watching Mark. And I... And, <laughs> And I, and I thought about, you know, I just, I just need to be praying for him. I think I'll go inside and sit in the air conditioning. And, because, because Oswald Chambers says the real work for the Christian is prayer. It's intercession. Well, he needs somebody to, to do the real work. And I'm going I'm to go in the house and just pray for my son-in-law. And, I, and no, but 
And in all seriousness, we sometimes think, well, we pray because it's the last resort. We've tried everything else, now it's time to pray. And it, prayer is, is the constant of life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. So it's, it's not, I'm praying now, I'm not praying, I'm doing something else, but it's in, in the constant of everything that we're doing, the heart is directed to, to the Lord independence. And so while we're, we're ripping out fence posts and putting new ones in, I'm praying. Praying, God, don't let me die of a heart attack out here. You know, I'm going to be buried in the kennel. It's, not, it's going to be transformed from a kennel to a cemetery. Um, but in, but it's, it's praying in the course of life. There are special seasons where the Lord wants us to pull aside and to be with him. We understand that. There are times when we should go to our closet, at Jesus, as Jesus said repeatedly in the Gospels, and just close the door and, and pray. We understand that. But prayer for the Christian is his life breath, in that we're recognizing throughout every moment of every day, I can't do this. Only you can, Jesus. And so the heart is constantly being directed to him. We think about some of the Old Testament saints, Moses, Daniel, David, and you can just go down, and Elijah, I mean, just go through the list. And these were men who, without exception, were truly characterized by prayer. And not just special seasons of prayer, but you read their lives and you understand these are men who are in constant communion with God, constantly talking to him, constantly relating everything to him not living from their own strength, not living in independence of God, not using prayers as, God, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm looking for you to bless it. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not just coming to God and asking Him for His blessing. Prayer is living in that state of constant dependency upon the Lord. One person once said, you know, we may not be constantly aware of God's presence, but we should be constantly aware of our dependence upon Him. And prayer is expressing that dependence upon the Lord. And we are, should be devoted to it, constantly becoming, coming before the Lord and expressing our need and seeking Him. Oswald Chambers is right when he says that the real work of the believer is intercession. And he says... And I appreciate this because he says there's really nothing harder to do than to keep a matter before God in prayer. It's easier to go and talk to the person that you're concerned about, especially when you feel that they need to be corrected or somehow brought back in line. Much easier to do that, as much as we all hate confrontation, than to persist in prayer. Chambers says, sometimes God reveals things to us not so that we would go and talk to that person, but that we would go before God and intercede on their behalf. Because God is the only one who can ultimately change a heart and transform a life. And many times God reveals things to us about other people so that we would fall on our knees on their behalf and pray for them, to intercede for them. In John chapter 6, the people came to Jesus and they wanted to be fed. And Jesus says, the only reason you want to make me king is so that I'll feed you. And they're going, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good reason to make you king. 
And, and Jesus is saying, you need to be concerned about you know, doing the works of God. And they go, well, what are the works of God? How do we do the works of God? And Jesus said, believe in me. And, that, and you will be doing the works of God. And prayer is a way that we express our faith in Christ. Because if I'm not praying, I'm trusting something else. I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting somebody else. But prayer is expressing my faith in God. And that's where we see the work of God being done. We have all these students that apply to Bible school each year. And, um, and I pray with, over every application that the Lord is bringing them. And that God is drawing their hearts. may not always seem like that. Some people have asked me over the years, how do you accept people? You know, what are the criteria? It seems like they just have to be alive. And uh, I said, well, you know, that, that is helpful. But, you know, there's more to it than that. But honestly, you know, I've come to know over the years that um, not only does God send people to Bible school, sometimes the devil does too. And the devil loves to have his plants in a church, in a Bible school, in any ministry, so that he can disrupt that ministry. And that's been a hard thing for me to come to realize, is that not everybody that comes to Bible school is being sent by God. Sometimes the enemy is sending them too. Just like that farmer that sowed only good seed, the parable says. And then as the seed started to come up, he realized there's a lot of weeds out there, tares. And he realized an enemy did this. Somebody came in at night and threw tear seeds out there. And so the tares are coming up with the good seed, with the wheat. The enemy can do the same thing in a church. Paul said to the Ephesians when he came back from his last missionary journey, his last time to see them, and he was on his way to Rome, and he met the Ephesian elders on a beach. And he knelt down in the sand with those guys and prayed with them. And he says, be on the alert, be on the watch, because savage wolves are going to come up from among you. Well, God's not sending wolves. It's the devil that sends wolves, because he's the one who's seeking to steal and kill and destroy. And so there's going to be wolves that come up among God's people. And so I pray in, in earnestness, Lord, send only those people that you want here and keep us from anybody that the enemy is wanting to send. I accepted one, and I don't know that, that, that it was a right decision or not. I don't know. But I made a, a decision to accept just for this fall a student from another country, that, an older student, married. She was going to be coming with her daughter and um, Ph.D. And, you know, and, and I met with her in person um, and I accepted her, and afterwards I'm just feeling great unease about that decision. And I'm thinking, I've made a big mistake. Now, I don't know that. Maybe it's just a feeling. Maybe it's I had too much pizza. I don't know. But I have to take it before the Lord. And I'm saying, God, if this woman is not who you want here, I don't know what's, what's unsettling me. But God, if you're unsettling me, is it so that I could say I've made a mistake and I have nothing to base that on? Or is it so that I would come to you in prayer? And I've gone to the Lord in prayer. I said, Lord, if this person's not right, if for some reason I've made a mistake and she's, you don't want her here, then I'm asking you to 
Move her out. And I heard yesterday, God's moved her out. She's not coming. She's asked to transfer to another school. And she gave me her reasons, and it all seemed very good and legitimate, understandable. And I appreciate that I can affirm her in, in that decision. She's feeling she made a mistake. Um, and, and God seems to be redirecting in her life. Praise the Lord. God hears us. God answers prayer. How do you know? Another question about prayer. How do we know when we have prayed through a matter? When you can stop praying, as it were. When you've prayed enough. The only time that um, the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them anything, he asked, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, we have the Lord's Prayer, which was never meant to be um, a rote prayer that we just vainly use repetitiously. Because Jesus said, do not pray in vain repetition. But it's a model prayer, and it's never even repeated anywhere else in Scripture. There's not a second place that the Lord's Prayer appears. There's, we have no record in Scripture of any Christians ever praying the Lord's Prayer. Because it was a pattern, a model, um, a paradigm of how to pray. It was, and that's what it was meant to be, just a guideline. But it starts out, as you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I've come to find that many times the Lord will have me to pray and pray and pray because God's wanting to do something in me. And he's wanting me to come to the point to where nothing matters in my heart other than his will being done. Your will be done. This is why sometimes we don't know whether it's right to pray for healing or not. We have a little granddaughter coming that you may have heard has lots of special needs. And we're asking God for her healing. God can do that. But maybe he's not going to. We pray and we pray and we pray. And it is not a lack of faith to say, God, the one thing that we want is your will to be done. And if it's your will for this child to live a whole life with medical problems, I don't understand that, God. Your will be done. If it's your will for this child not to live a full life and for her life to be cut short, I don't understand that, God. Your will be done. If it's your will to heal her, we would certainly rejoice. Your will be done. That's what makes this the real work. Because so much of what God is after is just bringing us in line with himself. I, I've said before, and, I, and I'm a, I always feel a hypocrite for saying it because I don't act on it. But I cannot think of a better investment for my time than to spend it in prayer. And now I'm talking about those special seasons of prayer, not just the constant disposition of dependency. But those times of getting alone without any distractions and getting on my knees or down in my face and seeking God and praying through a matter until all that matters is that God's will be done. There's no better use of your time. 
That is not to take the place of what we're supposed to be doing. There's no conflict here. And so I don't just pray for my son-in-law. I go out there and help him, a little bit that I can. It's, but there, it's not to be an excuse to be irresponsible. But prayer is the main responsibility that we have. Who else can talk to God like we can as Christians? Who else? The world needs our prayers. Our neighbors need our prayers. Our family need our prayers. Nobody else has the inside track to God that we do as his people. And we do no one any service when we, do, when we refuse this birthright privilege that we've been given as Christians. That is the, the height of irresponsibility, is not to take up the privilege of prayer that we each have to intercede on the, on the behalf of others. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Alert for what? Well, I looked up some of the references to alert. Matthew 24, 42, be on the alert. You do not know when your master is coming. Acts 20, 31, be on the alert for the wolves that will arise from among you. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, 13, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober to the Lord's coming. And 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So one of the things that characterizes prayer is watchfulness for two things, the return of the Lord Jesus and the activity of Satan. And there's something about prayer where God uses prayer when we are coming to him truly in in conversation, in communion with him, where God by his spirit wakes us up in prayer to the reality that Jesus Christ could come at any moment and we have an enemy who is seeking to destroy. And I know nothing that keeps me more alert to those two realities than coming before God in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. So it's not just because there's no other option. It's come to that. Now we have to pray. What else can we do? That's not an attitude of thanksgiving. That's an attitude of despair. And that's a motivation to come to the Lord in prayer. (laughs) We do come to the Lord in prayer because we're despairing, because we're discouraged, because we're depressed, because we're defeated. Those are all valid reasons to come to the Lord. But God doesn't want us just to come to Him because there's a crisis. And we come to Him because we're panicked. But we come to Him with thanksgiving. God hears us. And what are we thanking Him for? He's sufficient. Everything we've been reading in this letter, He is sufficient. He can handle this. We can't. He can. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. And that is, as Ian Thomas used to say, that is the language of faith is thank you, God. Thank you for what you're going to... Isn't that how we got saved? Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. And I just want to receive the gift of eternal life that you're offering to me in Christ. Thank you. And prayer is is to be conducted in the same attitude of thanksgiving. God, I'm not sufficient for this, but you never said that I was. Never said I had to be. I thank you, Jesus, that you are sufficient for this situation. And I thank you for what you are going to do.
There's a history of Elmbrook Church, which you may have heard of. Stuart Briscoe up in Milwaukee um, was a pastor of it for many, time, many years, huge church. Well, the history of Elmbrook Church was as a previous pastor who was also part of Torchbearers. Stuart Briscoe had been part of Torchbearers, but prior to Stuart Briscoe was Bob Hobson. And Bob is with the Lord now, and I knew Bob for a long time, fantastic guy, one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And he went to that church, and it was just a little bitty church. And it just started exploding. Um, and, and, and then he left, and Stuart Briscoe came in and got even, even bigger, a lot bigger. But he says the turnaround in that church was when he went to that church, and, he's, and he would go to, their, to the prayer meetings that they had. And all they did is they were constantly asking God for things and moaning about things, but thanking God for nothing. And so he goes, folks, prayer is giving thanks. We are to pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. So let's thank God. Thank God for what he is doing and not acting like he's doing nothing. God is active in this world. Let's thank God for what he is doing, even if we can't see what he's doing. Let's thank God for what he will do because he is sufficient when we aren't. And it turned everything around. They became a hopeful people because they were a thankful people. And it encouraged and strengthened their faith. Devote yourselves to prayer being a keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. I've appreciated this church so much because it has been a praying church. And when we pat, I'm, I'm absolutely confident that when prayer notices come up on our email exchange that we do, that folks are praying. And we can all count to many, many times and ways that God has sustained us and ministered to us and cared for us in answer to prayer. We pray for his kingdom to come. We pray for his will to be done. We pray without ceasing. We don't always know how to pray. Romans 8 says, we don't always know how to pray. But we thank God, the Spirit of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ themselves are both interceding for us constantly. Paul also says, pray for us. And I, and I appreciate this about the writers of Scripture. They're so honest and transparent. Not, it, none of them acting as though they have it all together. And there's humility here when Paul's saying, praying at the same time for us as well. Apostles needed prayer. And if apostles needed prayer, we all need prayer. Can't get too much praying at the same time for us as well. Then he's going to ask for three things in particular here. There's other places he asks for other things, but these three things. Number one, that God may open up a door for the word. Pray for us that God would give us open doors for the word. We pray for open doors for job opportunities and things. And again, that's not all invalid. But when was the last time we prayed for an open door for the Word of God? In our own lives. God, give me an open door for the Word. Well, Charlie, you're in the ministry, man. That's what you're supposed to be doing. No, we all should be asking God for opportunities to speak forth God's Word into the lives of other people. Every one of us. 
as well as, a, as these opportunities would be increasing around the world. I was with a, a, a veterinarian, um, I forget now because I'm losing my mind, not long ago, and, and this vet was telling me how in Mongolia, and I knew this, that you know, they, one of their favorite um, uh, loves is horses. And, um, and they just love horses. So much of the Mongolian culture focuses around horses. And so these Christian vets have figured out that there is an open door for the gospel as they go there to take care of horses. And they, have, they are having opportunities at the highest level of government because even, even the president and the, and the cabinet officials all are concerned about the horses in Mongolia. Who knew? And so they are invited. There's a team of vets that, are, that go over there every year just to take care of the horses, but they're all Christians. And it's giving them access to share the Word of God, to share Christ in people's lives that they would have never had access to because they're going there to take care of horses. I mean, people have been praying for Mongolia over the last, you know, I know over the entire 20th century at least. And, and God is sending veterinarians there who know, the, know Christ to take care of horses and the door opens up to share Christ. Praying for us that God may open up for us a door for the word. Second request, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. An open door for the word, and then that we would speak. So it's not just enough, as we know, God, give me the opportunity, but Lord, open my mouth to speak forth the mystery of Christ. It's, it's always good to share our own testimony, our own story of what God has done in our lives. But we need to keep in mind the message of the gospel is not us. It's Jesus. We are preaching and proclaiming Christ. So even when we're sharing our own story, it's in order to, to exalt Christ and not to exalt ourselves. The mystery of Christ, and in particular, as he's talked about in Colossians, the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God sent his son to this world to die for our sins, to rise again from the dead, to ascend into heaven so that he might indwell those who place their faith in him. The mystery of Christ. That man does not need or have to live apart from God. That you can live a life that is truly from God, in dependence upon God, where God is living in you and through you as he takes up residence in your life through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the mystery of Christ. Pray for us that there will be an open door, that we would speak forth the mystery of Christ for which we've been in prison. And then verse 4, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So pray that we would have clarity in what we say as well. And that again is a gift from God. Clarity, opportunity, God's gift to be able to speak forth Christ. This is how the Spirit wants to work through us, to bear witness of Jesus and to do so clearly. And I tell you, as one who has to speak at least once a week um, throughout the year, I know when God is empowering to speak clearly. 
And when he isn't, boy, it just feels like it is all me. And I'm just going, God, I didn't even get anything out of that. I don't know how anybody else did. God, and so it is it's truly the work of God. And no matter how much you study and how much you prepare, and you can have it all written down, unless God is giving clarity, there's not going to be any understanding. There won't be any work of God. And so this is why, again, Paul's expressing his dependency upon the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. God has to do this work. And that's what he's asking for prayer concerning. So he's talked about prayer, and now he talks about conduct. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. The outsiders here would be unbelievers. There's probably little in this world that seems more stupid and foolish to an unbeliever than our faith in Jesus Christ. Right? (laughs) Stupid. That you are trusting in the activity, Jesus, of someone who is dead in their minds. That is stupid. What can a dead man do for you? Paul struggled with this all the time. And he talked about that. He says, the message we preach is foolishness to those who are perishing. Well, it doesn't help matters to add to that by living a life that is, by all reckoning, stupid. Okay? And so, we conduct ourselves with wisdom. Well, Jesus is the wisdom of God. How can I live a life that's wise? I read through Proverbs all the time. Hardly a day that goes by that I don't read at least one chapter of Proverbs. And all through my life, I've been reading Proverbs and going, I'm a fool. I don't know anybody can read Proverbs and not walk away saying you're a fool. It is a convicting book to read. But it causes me to see my need for Jesus and for his wisdom and to say, Jesus, I can't live this life. I don't know what I'm doing. And the proverb says that man orders his steps, but God directs his paths. And so, God, I need you to direct my paths. I don't know what to do with this life you've given me. If it's left to me, I'll ruin it. I know of a ministry, a friend of mine that used to be on, on, in working with this ministry told me about it. Down in Central America, this ministry had been seeking for open doors. God was giving an open door in this place where the only access to it was by, by boat. And so this ministry was seeking God for how to go there, and, and they felt like God said, well, build a boat. And so they raised all kinds of money, and they built a boat in order to reach this remote location that was only reachable by river and by boat. And so they told everybody, God told us to build a boat. And they raised tons of money from all over North America for this boat to reach these remote people. Problem is, they didn't check out how big to make the boat. And they made, apparently, an ark. And when they got the boat on the river, it was too big for the river. And so they spent thousands of dollars raising money for a boat because God said build a boat, but they never did their homework to figure out what kind of boat to build. They just built some big yacht, apparently, down there, and they couldn't turn the thing around on it, and they looked like fools. There's no reason for that as Christians. I mean, again, the Christian life itself looks foolish. We understand that. But that doesn't mean we need to conduct ourselves in a way that everybody in the world would say, that is folly. That is foolishness. So we come before the Lord and we seek counsel. In the abundance of counselors, there is wisdom. And we proceed carefully, cautiously, 
in obedience to the Lord, but making sure that we're doing things the right way. Takes the Lord for that. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Making the most of the opportunity. God's giving opportunities all around us and that we would trust God for the grace and be obedient to make the most of those. We don't make opportunities. God makes the opportunity. But when God gives the opportunity, as God leads, we step into those and make the most of them. Prayer, conduct, and then speech. Let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech always be, not sometimes, not usually, always with grace. Seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Now, he's probably talking here again about specifically talking to unbelievers. Let your speech toward unbelievers be with grace. Making the most of the opportunity with unbelievers. Conducting yourselves with wisdom toward unbelievers. So all this seems to be evangelistic in nature. When our kids were little, we didn't take them out to restaurants until they were able to eat without throwing food all over the walls at home, right? And so once they can be relatively civilized at home, then you risk taking them out in public. Let your, gra- your speech be seasoned with grace. Well, that starts at home. And, you know, it's, it's, he's not talking about be gracious toward the unbeliever, but give every Christian you meet a piece of your mind. It's be gracious with everybody. And if I can't be gracious with the body of Christ, with my own family... How am I going to be gracious with those outside the body of Christ? That's just hypocrisy. And, but sadly, that's often the way it is. We are better at treating unbelievers than we are at treating Christians or our own families. And we would never raise our voices at an unbeliever because we don't want to turn them away from Jesus. But man, we don't pull back when it comes to each other. Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And there's no one out of balance, one emphasized over the other. One writer said, if you're all about grace, Christ is not being manifest in your life. If you're all about truth, Christ is not being manifest in your life. Because Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. It's not either or. It's both. And both things characterize Christ's life. And both will characterize ours as well. Grace toward all truth toward all, because Christ is the same toward all people. And again, we're not adequate for this, but the Lord Jesus is our sufficiency. So we come before the Lord and say, God, I I want my speech to be with grace. And it takes wisdom, and that takes prayer. Lord, I don't have the wisdom to speak graciously in this circumstance, but I'm looking to you for that. And God gives it. We need to note that gracious talk is not just talk that's kind, and it is. It's not just talk that that doesn't have the potential of offending. Jesus often offended people. But grace talk is talk that has in it 
the power to lift, to strengthen, to encourage. So the Word of God says that the, that the smoldering wick Jesus never put out, the bruised reed Jesus didn't break off. He said to the, to the weary and heavy laden, come to me that you might find rest. And so, the, so grace talk understands, I don't understand everything there is to know about people. I may not, I don't understand their whole story and, and why they're acting the way that they act. But I do know this, it's a lot easier to crush people than it is to, to lift people and to encourage them. And, and that grace talk says, I don't want to just be hammering people every time I see something wrong. But I, want, I need to treat people carefully with care and tenderness because none of us know how fragile somebody else is. We don't even know about that ourselves until something happens and all of a sudden we're shattered and we go, I didn't even know I was, I, I had, I was so close to being shattered. But grace is treating people carefully and tenderly, wanting people to be affirmed and strengthened in their faith. And the last thing we'd want to do is to say something that would turn people away in hardness, away from Christ. But it also, again, with that, we speak the truth. But in such a way that it leads people to being encouraged and strengthened in their faith. There's, it's not one or the other. Truth with grace. Grace with the truth. It's not one or the other. And in that, trusting that their faith will be strengthened and encouraged. So that you may know how you should respond to each person. We have a neighbor right now up at his hill who is um, not a believer. And he has a no trespassing sign up on his property. Nobody likes to have their property trespassed on. Neither do we. And this same neighbor has a no trespassing sign on his property, on his fence, is trespassing on our property. And he has, in a little hidden area down by our river, he's got four chairs set up and a barbecue pit and a kayak and fishing poles. He doesn't think I know about that. And every day I drive by and see the no trespassing sign and know not very far from that trespassing sign He's using our property. He's got a nice little campground set up down there, a little picnic area. And I'm praying for how to graciously, with wisdom, talk to this man so that he's not turned away from the Lord. It takes the wisdom of God. And maybe God doesn't want me to talk to him. Maybe God just wants me to pray for him and give the opportunity to let the Lord work. We had another neighbor that used to let his, his animals run wild on our property all the time. He had two donkeys that were always on our property. And we would get the things and take them back. And he'd let them loose and they're back on our property. We'd get them and take them back. Always being kind to him, never fussing at him, and, but praying, God, we can't let this got to stop. And it was a neighbor who didn't know the Lord that was talking to him one time and leaning across the fence talking to him and looking at these two donkeys running around on our property and he said to this guy who owned the donkeys, he says, you know, you must be a rich man. And the man says, why would you say that? I'm not a rich man. And he goes, well, you must be a rich man. Why? He says, because the first time one of those donkeys kicks one of those kids in the head and kills him, you're going to be sued. 
So I just figured you must be a rich man because you don't care about the lawsuit that's coming your way. Those donkeys were never on our property again. <laughs> Praise God. So sometimes God just wants us to pray and he'll use somebody else. Sometimes he wants us to speak. But when we speak with grace, as though it is seasoned with salt. I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your sufficiency. We are not adequate for anything, Lord. But yet, you make us adequate through your own sufficiency. And we just want to live from you, for your glory and your praise, God, in all that we say and do. Thank you, God, for this privilege that I'm exercising right now. We all are just talking to you, God. This birthright that you've given us through faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would increasingly take it up in intercession for our unbelieving family and friends in the world around us, as well as for the body of Christ. That we would count this as our greatest privilege and responsibility to come to you in behalf of others. And I thank you, God, that you hear us and that you are eager, God, to answer us and to do as we ask. When we ask in the name of Jesus for your glory and for your kingdom and not for our own. In Christ's name, amen.